Good morning to you, and we welcome, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Janice M., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Today's Monday. It's October 31st, 2016. Today we're reading from our big book, Chapter 11, A Vision for You. We're going to begin on page 158, the very last paragraph, paragraph five. So you see there were three alcoholics. In today's readers, we're going to be reading two paragraphs, okay? One on 158 and the first one on 159. Today's readers are for the 12 OA steps is Lisa B., the 12 OA traditions, and Marie M. The readers for our text will be Judy S., Amanda R., and Sarah W. Now, the reference number for yesterday, Sunday, October 30th, 2016, special edition meeting is 9216. 9216. The presentation was entitled Fear Unearthing the Foundations of Character Defects by John K. from California. Okay, our OA preamble. <clears throat> Pardon me. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition, states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lisa B. to please read our 12 steps. Good morning. This is Lisa B. I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater living in Greenville, South Carolina. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 
10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I pass. And thank you much, Lisa B. Okay, I will now ask Anne-Marie M. to please read the OA traditions, 12 traditions. Good morning, this is Anne-Marie M. in South Carolina, compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, thus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, OVEs Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, OVEs Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And thank you, Anne-Marie M., how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. Now to share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Okay, today we resume our study in the big book on pages 158. We're gonna, the first read is gonna read two paragraphs. It's the last one, 
on, on page 158, so you see there were three alcoholics. And then on page 159, the very first paragraph ending. So one more was added to the fellowship, and comments are going to be on the two paragraphs. And I will now ask Judy S. to please begin reading. Good morning. This is Judy S. from upstate New York. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So you see, there were three alcoholics in that town who now felt they had to give to others what they had found or be sunk. After several failures to find others, a fourth turned up. He came through an acquaintance who had heard the good news. He proved to be a devil-may-care young fellow whose parents could not make out whether he wanted to stop drinking or not. They were deeply religious people, much shocked by their son's refusal to have anything to do with the church. He suffered horribly from his sprees, but it seemed as if nothing could be done for him. He consented, however, to go to the hospital, where he occupied the very room recently vacated by the lawyer. He had three visitors. After a bit, he said, The way you fellows put this spiritual stuff makes sense. I'm ready to do business. I guess the old folks are right after all. So one more was added to the fellowship. So this is Judy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from upstate New York, Judy S. Um, You know, so there were three and, you know, now there's four. Um, you know, that, that's how we come into the program, one at a time. Um, when people are ready, they show up. And some people, in my experience, show up and they don't stay long. And they, you know, some I, we never see again, some come back, some get it the first time. Um, but it's not up to us. You know, people who come into this program have to be desperate enough and... Um, You know, in these paragraphs, it says this, you know, he was a young fellow, but he had already suffered horribly from his sprees. And it seemed nothing could be done for him. So he had gotten to the point where he was desperate, very desperate. And that's the point I needed to get to. And I actually got to that point um, when I first came into OA. That's why I walked into the rooms, because I was desperate. I was you know, over 300 pounds, I couldn't walk up steps. Um, I, I could, but it hurt terribly. It hurt horribly. And I was suffering horribly from this disease. And, um, you know, but the way this disease works is at any point, unless I keep spiritually fit, I can go back into the food and I pick up right where I left off and I continue to suffer horribly. And um, that was my experience. I, after two years in the program, I picked up um, my alcoholic foods again and started to suffer horribly. Um, and I stayed in that place, in and out of the food, um, for three years. I never left the rooms, thank goodness. But, um, you know, he, everybody's different in this program. And, you know, and then I got to the point where I was desperate enough again to put down the food and pick up the spiritual toolkit. Um, and it doesn't matter if, you know, I was, I was, I believed in God before I got into OA. Um, I wouldn't call myself deeply religious, but I was, you know, 
very aware there was a higher power, but that didn't help with my eating. And I am just so grateful for this program. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you so much, Judy. Yes. All right. We'll open up the meeting. And who would like to share on two paragraphs? Charles Tina S. Tina S. Reva P. Melissa C. I heard Charles H. Vasa O. Well, I hear Vasa now. And then I think I heard Tina. Did I hear Tina S.? Yes. Okay. Holland G. And, oh, Holland. Holland G. I hear Holland. Yep. And Kim Shannon F. Who is that? Kim Shannon F. Oh, Kim G. Let's go with that. And we have another group coming up, so we'll just go with Charles. <laughs> we'll come with. We'll go with Charles first. Charles H. Please go ahead. Good morning, Janice, and thank you for your um your loyal. And your 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 good hearing service. I greatly appreciate your service. Thank you. Charles H. A recovered compulsive overeater. Just for today, um, I want to drill down where it says after several failures to find others. I want to drill down right there and sit right there for a minute because I could sure identify with um being a failure in, in this program on, on the line. Yeah, I said it, on the line, because um, I was. I wasn't willing to do certain things. I was faking a front toe mom recovered and, 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 and still picking up some. But now I am interested in a medical estimate plan of recovery, and I'll give you an example. Like, wow, somebody that was not willing, all of a sudden, I'm willing, right? Um, talk to a lot of people, man, try to carry this message. And I identify with being a failure on this line. Um, I identify with it, right? So, so I, so I came up with some. I'd rather kill you with the truth than comfort you with a lie. You know, it ain't all. It ain't. You know, it's really real talk. It ain't all right. Yeah, you keep coming back, but we we suggest you to. You know what I mean? But if you don't want to, it's okay. I love how Bill Bill W and Doctor Bob were so. They was like. They was like a crocodile from Africa picking up um, their baby crocs and carrying them back to the river. So, you know, stern and gentle at the same time. I struggle with that. I had to do about 50, 10 steps on that because I talked to a couple of people. One lady I talked to, oh, I'm in AA 35 years, and I feel so good going to AA, but I'm binging my, my life away. And, and that's why I don't come to OA. I said, do you listen to Vision every day? Are you, you know, are you, you talking to your sponsor? No, because I feel so good in AA. So it, it just reminds me of that. Like, I, I, I may be flourishing in one area, but then I'm so weak in another area, and I'm scared to come on the line to tell you my weakness. You know, don't sleep. Everybody bet on a favorite. Don't sleep on that long shot. That long shot? You know, after several failures, may come through and be my sponsor. I'm so grateful, right? And I ain't blaming, you know, and, and, and I was with the church all day yesterday, and I seen them binging, and I ain't say nothing, and they already know what it is. And, and I said this last Monday, and I'll say it this, this Monday too, and people, you know, be getting tight over it, but it's the truth. God ain't coming down from heaven to slap the food out of nobody's mouth. It ain't going to happen. It's, he's not coming. 
Santa is not going to say, hey, reindeer, chill right there. I'm going to go give um, this compulsive overeater a gift and slap the food out of his mouth. No. I have to take this, the heroin out of, uh, out of my arm. I got to take the crack out of my mouth. I got to do it. The first step is nasty and disgusting. Race against time to get a spiritual awakening. I'm going on that one. I love you guys. And uh, this is a message of depth and weight. It ain't hollow and it ain't weed. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Charles H. Okay, Vasa O, it's your turn. Vasa? Thank you. I'm sorry, I was muting and unmuting. Mm-hmm. Muting. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Janice, for your service, and I, I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And this is a really good paragraph for me, again, to remind where I came from. Um, um, again, you know, I see people coming and going one by one. You know, I'm just so grateful I decided to stay in the program. Uh, I have friends that are they've come and stayed, have gone, but I never left the program. For me to leave is to die. And um, I I had the gift of desperation, and I really was not obese, you know, but I had gained and lost many, many pounds over the years. So I guess I could have been obese if if I didn't try to control it. And I was also a very physical, active person, so that's another form of bulimia that I heard to burn calories. But anyways, I had the gift of desperation, and at that time I didn't see it as a gift of desperation. I saw it as a punishment for me not to have those certain foods that that, that caused the physical allergy to my body. I couldn't even imagine living without them for one day. But I was ready and I was willing to surrender, you know, because I did not want to die. And uh, I wanted to tell people the good news that I found. In this. I, I wanted to let them know the solution. And I was going to people that were not even in the program, you know, friends and relatives, trying to promote my program, you know. They didn't want to hear it. Are you kidding? And they still don't want to hear it. And they saying to me, why are you still going there? You, you've been thin all these years, you know. Well, that's what I thought. I was going to come in in the program, and I was going to lose the weight, and I was going to leave. I thank God that I stayed. I kept on working the 12 steps, and I thank God I was introduced to the big book, the, uh, you know, the doctor's opinion, and everything that this book has to offer. I just needed to take the action and work it. Thank you, and I pass. And thank you, Vasa O. Okay, Tina S., it is your turn. Thanks, Janice, uh, for your service. And um, wow, some really good shares I heard this morning. And you know, and I and I'm like right here with y'all. Uh, you know, I came to a point in in my recovery that I felt that I had to give others what I found, and and it wasn't by any virtue. I uh, wasn't really initially here to help you or someone else. You know, it's here so that you know that I wouldn't be sunk, what it talks about, that I wouldn't go back into the food and that I wouldn't have to continue to live the way that I was living, which was not even living, it was just existing. And, you know, and I really, I loved what I heard. He came through an acquaintance 
you know, you know, and I've I, I tried several times to give this thing away, like pushing it on people, so therefore they weren't interested. But then somebody came that had heard the good news through somebody else, you know, and I love that they talked about that, heard the good news because that's why I stayed. You know, I, I finally was able to hear the good news. You know, I had come in many years before my last um, abstinence date. Let me just tell you, but I was finally beaten to a place of reasonableness and was able to hear the good news. And 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 you know, today uh, after working the steps and having had a transformation and a psychic change, you know, I really want to give this thing away. And I also have uh, shared with many people that ha- that were deeply religious or ha- or supposedly very spiritual, but weren't beaten to a place of reasonableness yet. They weren't willing to do the deal yet. But I see over the years the people coming back. And that was me. You know, I can't successfully eat, you know, um, compulsively. I cannot. I can not successfully not eat, you know, because if I would, if I could, I would, you know. So I have found an answer that works. And, and it's through these 12 steps and through the people in the rooms. And so um, I'm eager to give that away today. And so with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Mm. Okay. Thank you, Tina S. Harlan G., it's your turn. Thanks, Janice. It's Harlan G. I'm a compulsive old reader from Scottsdale, Arizona. Can I be heard? You certainly can. Oh, thank you. The person that we're talking about here is very instrumental in AA history. His name is Ernie Galbraith. And Ernie Galbraith was a, was a much younger man. So was Clarence Snyder, who we'll talk about later. He was a much younger guy than a lot of these guys. And the person that connected him, the people that connected him with Dr. Bob were T. Henry and Clarice Williams of the Oxford group. And we're going to be reading about T. Henry and Clarice Williams, although they're not going to be named in here, because we're going to be talking about the home where a lot of these early Oxford group meetings were held, and it was their home, the the home of T. Henry and Clarice Williams. They hooked him up with Dr. Bob, and Dr. Bob obviously hooked him up with with, uh, with, uh, the three of them. But let's take a look at some of the things here. First of all, Ernie Galbraith, Mary, Dr. Bob's daughter, which is not real important to everything, but it is something. And Ernie never really got into any type of long-term recovery at all. He wanted to be paid to speak at meetings. He wanted a lot of attention. In other words, he missed the point. He missed the point. And when we look at this thing that we have today, We learn and grow and survive and stay abstinent just as much because of the failures as we do because of the successes. The cautionary tales, the cautionary tales who who taught them what not to do. And he said, it says here something very, very important. It says here on on the paragraph on page 159, it says, well, it says they were deeply religious people talking about Ernie Galbraith's parents who were much shocked at their son's refusal to have anything to do with the church. He suffered horribly from his screed. Let's take note of that. But it seemed as if nothing could be done for him because his mental twist was so acute because he needed relief from the pain of not drinking and his physical allergy was so acute that he couldn't, he couldn't control it. 
He cons- he consented, however, to go to the hospital. But let's take a look here. He had three visitors. Bill Dotson had just vacated the room, and he was already making 12-step calls. That's the nugget here. The nugget here is not so much about Ernie Galbraith. The nugget is he had three visitors, and after a bit he said, the way you fellas put this spiritual stuff makes sense, I'm ready to do business. Bill Dotson, they put him right to work, and because he got right to work, Bill Dotson never found it necessary to ever drink ever again throughout his life. And that's the nugget. It's not a program for people who need it. It's not a program for people who want it. This is a program for people who do it. It's a, excuse me. It's an action program. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Yeah, and thank you so much, Holland G. Just a gentle reminder, you know, it's very distracting if we're unmuted to the speaker. So please, press star one if you're not speaking. Thank you. Star one. Um, you're still unmuted. Okay, I'm going to mute the phone. Mute the line. Okay, who would like to be in the next group? Kim G. Melissa oh, Kim, I'm sorry. Kim, Kim, sorry. Reva P. Sure, thank you. Wait a minute now. Kim G. Yes, she was next. And then Reva P. I think I just heard. And whom else? Melissa no, R. I'm sorry. Somebody R. Melissa R. Melissa. Okay. Melissa R. and Melissa C. Is that right? No, Melissa C. Melissa C. And Melissa R. Nessa R. Sue G. And Sue G. Anybody else? Amanda R. And Amanda R. That's a good group. Okay. Let's go to with Kim G. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, guys. Happy Monday. Uh, good morning, all. My name is Kim G. And I'm, re- I'm a recorded, recovered compulsive overeater. The way you fellas put the spiritual stuff makes sense. I'm ready to do business. You know, as Harlan was talking about some of the history, I remember hearing about, you know, when Dr. Bob was working in Akron Hospital and Sister Ignatia was helping him with these alcoholics. And, you know, he's a very compassionate man, but he would come to Sister Ignatia and say, that guy in bed whatever, he's just looking for a free meal and a place to sleep. He doesn't mean business. Get him out of here. Because he understood if he wasn't ready to do business, there was nothing they could do. So I keep thinking back to my own history now. You know, I know in my area, I talk to people in relapse, and they tell me, oh, no, I would never come to your meeting, Kim. You know, there's, we know in, in relapse which meetings we can go to in South Jersey that we feel comfortable being in relapse because nobody confronts us. Everyone just tells us to, to sit back, relax, and wait for the miracle. You know, I remember hearing a speaker say that the purpose of a meeting is to disturb those people in the disease, and not in a mean way but to tell them the truth of what they're suffering from because that is the only thing that's going to motivate someone to take action. You know, I remember myself in high school, I prayed every night for God to make me a size 14. I didn't want to shop in the big girl stores. 
but I never prayed to stop eating. You know, at 23, when I was diagnosed morbidly obese, when I meant to do business and I remember I was taught bulimia in college, I was serious about that. I worked really hard and became a good bulimic because I meant business about that. You know, I spent many years in the rooms of OA just accepting temporary relief. A good year in OA was whether if I was abstinent more than I was an abstinent. So what does it mean to do business? What was he willing to do? Remember, we have this twofold illness. We have an allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. So if to address the allergy, what are we told in the doctor's opinion? We have to have entire abstinence. And with that mental twist, what are we told in the doctor's opinion? That we're going to do this over and over and over and over unless we have an entire psychic change. So that's what it means to do business. Are you ready to put the food down? Are you done? Not whether you're willing to put it down one day at a time. You're going to have to do that. But the question is, are you done? Are you out of ideas? And are you willing to work these steps precisely, specifically, in order? And when you get to step 12, you're going to make this your design for living. That's what it means to do business. I know for myself, I often use willingness as a loophole. Well, I'm not willing, so there's nothing I can do. And I remember someone in the meeting saying, willingness without action was fantasy. And unfortunately, I spent many years in OA hoping, as Larry said, pixie dust would come over me and that fantasy would become a reality. It wasn't until I had entire abstinence and had an entire psychic change that my life changed. And with that, I pass. And thank you so much, Kim G. Reva P., it's your turn. Good morning. It's Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. I wanted to share on two things. First of all, the fact that they had several failures. That reminds me that the purpose of me carrying the message um, is for me to carry the message and it's irregardless of the outcome. I do it because that's what I need to do to stay um, healthy and sober um, and spiritually fit. But I have absolutely no control of the outcome and it tells me specifically in the paragraph of working with others, you know, once I've um, had the person identify um, and self-diagnose based on the problem, and I offer the solution. If somebody doesn't want it, I move on um, because that's not within my control. And the second part I wanted to share on is about suffering horribly. And it just brings back tons of remember whens of falling asleep after a huge um, sugar binge in my clothes, waking up hungover from the sugar, not being able to focus. I was in so much of a fog that I didn't even know I was in a food fog until I got out of it. Um, and you know, using and doing the steps and the work in this program, um, that concept of suffering, I might be uncomfortable. I might, you know, I've experienced some, well, a lot of physical pain these past few weeks with some physical issues. So I might have pain I might have discomfort, but I don't have to suffer horribly. And it seems as if nothing can be done for my physical allergy and mental twist. It seemed that way, but there is a solution. So the great news is in the next paragraph that if I'm ready to do the work, if I'm ready to do business, there are people who stand right in front of me like these three men 
who had what I had, did what I did, and are not doing it anymore. And that's the great news of this book, that I was suffering and I don't have to suffer anymore um, if I'm willing to do the work. With that, I pass. And thank you, Reva P. Okay, Melissa C., it's your turn. Hi, good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, when I think about this paragraph and these two paragraphs, how um, unless I carry the message, I will be sunk. And um, that jumps out at me right away. And the other thing that really grabbed me was that um, they came to, you know, they came upon him through an acquaintance. And so when I'm carrying the message, um, you know, I can't be um, prejudiced by who I think needs to hear my message, you know, and that's something I've done in the past. I've made decisions based on someone's appearance, um, whether they truly look like they have a weight problem or not, um, and decided, yeah, those people are worth me carrying the message to. And, um, you know, and then I'm perhaps missing out on many other people who who I could be of use to. And so I'm learning more and more um, I have this incredible gift um, that I've been given um, of a physical transformation. And it it definitely gets attention, and it's very, you know, in some ways it really can boost my ego. It can also make me feel really uncomfortable. But I have to believe that God gave me the ability to lose uh, over 140 pounds um, so that, I can continue to do the good work. And so when people ask me whether they look like they need to hear the message or not, I'm directed today to carry the message and not be so, um, you know, offhanded. You know, like, so I used to say things like, oh, well, you know, when they say how did you lose weight, I, I would say things like, oh, well, you know, the usual way I stopped eating so much. You know, and that's not true. You know, and so today um, when I'm asked, I don't answer that way anymore if somebody looks thin and they don't look like they need to hear my message. I tell the truth today, and I had the chance to do that a bunch of times over the weekend. I tell people I was, you know, desperate. Um, I was in pain. I was owned by the food, and I'm not anymore. And, you know, um, and I tell people that I eat the way that alcoholics drink. And my hope is that... um, you know, whether that person needs to hear it or not, they, I'm sure, have acquaintances who do. And thank you. With that, I'll pass. And thank you, Nessa R. Sue G., it's your turn. Sue G., start one to unmute. Good morning. I was pushing the wrong buttons. Sorry. Um, this is Sue G. from Michigan. I recovered by the grace of God. Um, I think this reminds me of, of um, Ebby coming to, to Bill and saying, I got religion. He knew that Bill had a background, so he was comfortable bringing it up instead of talking just about the steps right away. Um, you know, he, he says, well, you, you folks explain uh, religion 
the, uh, the spiritual, not religion, but the spiritual. He just, you know, makes makes a lot of sense. I guess my folks were right after all. And uh, then he was ready to do business. I think it was, um, I've read other other places too where the it wasn't until they were presented the spiritual that they became um, ready to to really work. So I think, you know, I, I have a feeling that he did steps one through three um, right away um, when he said, I'm ready to do business and jumped right in and, and, and worked on the spiritual. And... Uh, but he, but he was he was sober because he's in a he's in a hospital, so they got him at a good time. So he'd already given up the alcohol, and now he's ready to to work the steps, work the principles, and and incorporate the the spiritual into it. And uh, I remember when I was sponsoring before. Uh, not sponsoring the way I do now, but sponsoring the way I was before, I was doing it because I was told that that's what you know, that's step twelve. I'm, you know, if I'm going to work the steps, and step twelve is 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 uh, helping other people, and I didn't see it as a necessity for my own uh, recovery. It wasn't put to me that way, uh, and now uh, as I as I'm sponsoring, it's really a really different attitude, um, a different purpose, and that um, I've had failures. I've had people drop out and say, "Oh, I'm just not. I'm just not ready yet." And it doesn't. It doesn't. It it hurts me because it doesn't hurt me. It hurts because I know that they're going to suffer longer. Um, but. I guess that was all I had to say. Thank you for letting me share. I passed. <clears throat> and thank you, Sue G. Okay, Amanda R., it's your turn. Good morning. This is Amanda R., a recovered compulsive reader from Maine. And um, I was looking at the second paragraph there. Um, he says, I guess the old folks were right after all. Um, and I, I find, you know, he's talking about spirituality, spiritual stuff, the way they, they put it makes sense. Um, and I think a lot of people would rather, you know, hang out with somebody contagious with Ebola than talk about spiritual stuff. Cause that's just like, that's something in our culture that's just, you know, it's it's seen as a private thing. Hide it. Don't share it with others. Um, it's not polite. It's not acceptable. And and um, there is definitely a, a place for that. However, in the in the twelve step rooms, this is our message of how we will, you know, recover. How we will avoid dying of this disease. So um I I try to to gently challenge people is it is it spirituality itself that they are uncomfortable with or is it their concept of spirituality is it some 
false ideas they may have collected in childhood, in growing up, um, just to to be brave and take a little bit of a closer look at that. You know, if you decide that you still don't want to go with it, that's okay. I mean, there's not a whole lot of risk in looking at it a little bit more closely and deeply examining what your um why you don't why you don't like this idea of spirituality because you're not signing a contract it's just it's an investigation and you know give it a shot you know it's like my parents used to say when i was little try it you just might like it so <laughs> oh my gosh so you know and it is and you find what works for you um and that's a beautiful thing so that's all I have to say. I pass. Okay. Thank you, Amanda. Uh, is there anyone else that would like to share on these two paragraphs before we go on? Larry. Yes, there are. Renata. Leia and Okay. We have Nessa. Uh, we have Larry. Okay. I heard Renata. And then I heard Leia M. Let's go with those. Those four. Nessa R., you're up. Hi, thank you. Good morning, a vision for you. This is Sanessa R. Recovered in Toronto, Canada. There's, um, I guess, two messages that stand out in this reading for me. Um, the first message is, here we have three gutter drunk alcoholics who have recovered going after their fourth, um, who's also a gutter um, alcoholic. And if this simple program of action work for them, it can work for me too, and it can work for all of us. It can work for anybody on the line who is struggling, whether they've been struggling inside the rooms or outside the rooms. Um, It can work if we work it the way it's meant to be worked. And the second message is that, you know, when I try to carry the message, and this is why the process tries to carry the message as opposed to a categorical categorical go carry the message um, is that I um, it is not my job to convince anybody that either they are a compulsive overeater or if they know that they are compulsive overeater that they should be working this program my job is just to tell them what I was like what happened and what I am like now Um, and if they care to have it then of course to to guide them through the process of firstly putting down the food, secondly, you know, working the steps the way they're meant to be worked, and thirdly, practicing these principles in all our affairs. And, you know, I struggled in the rooms for nine years, chiefly because the meetings that I went to did not study the big book. I didn't know about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. I didn't know how to apply this, um, you know, simple program of action. I don't even think that I understood the simple program of action. But this is where um, my past becomes my greatest asset, you know. And in step nine, it says that, you know, we do not um, regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it because there's people in the rooms who, who saw me, um, to the struggles, who saw me obese, who saw me angry and restless and irritable and discontent, who now have seen my transformation, not only in terms of my physical recovery with, you know, over, you know, 
uh, carrying over uh, less than, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, carrying less than uh, more than 70 pounds off. I, I, I release 70 pounds off of weight, so they, they see the physical transformation, but they also see the personality change. Um, and that becomes, you know, pro, hopefully very attractive. Uh, but even then, if they see the transformation and they do not wish to do the work, it is still not my job to convince them. It is my job to be a role model, to be a power of example, and to be approachable so that if they care to have what I have, what I've been so graciously being given by um, by God through the help of my sponsor, um, then I can I can pass it on to them. But again, it is not my job to convince anybody that uh, what I have today can be theirs too. That's their job. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Nessa R. Okay, Larry K. Good morning. It's your turn. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. Thanks for your service, Larry K. Recovered compulsible reader. The um, you know Ernie G. Like Harlan was saying, Ernie G. He uh, you know we, we we see that. I mean, he had some struggles. If you read the history, uh, no doubt. Um, you know, and, and it, I guess the you know uh, what I would say is you know when we look at the you know what's the what's the most potent use of our brain as human beings, you know, and maybe maybe it's the precise ability to kind of project into the future, which can work against us, can work in our favor. Sometimes I can play that sort of counter analysis game. You know, our brain is like an anticipation machine. It's like an anticipation machine. I imagine. Um, I imagine Ernie uh, experienced the same sort of thing. You know, we're given a little bit of hope. You know, we're in our, we're in our desperation. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm going to put the food down. I'm going to put the alcohol down. I'm going to feel better. You know, we anticipate that. You know, and I guess what I would say is that projecting ahead in our mind is only advantageous insofar as it's based on conjectures of truth if it's based on conjectures of truth, because we have to have know-how in this program and we have to have know-what. We have to have some know-how. And so they're carrying the message to this guy, just like the message was carried to me, just like it was carried to you, however it was carried to you. You know, and we project ahead. And if these projections are based on a fallacy, thank goodness they weren't based on a fallacy for me. But if these projections are based on a fallacy, say a watered-down anecdote, you know, or erroneous information, then the problem is, is we fall victim to sort of that crystal ball mentality, making predictions based on a fallacy. And that's, that's okay. We do it every day. But you know what? It's deadly to compulsive readers. If you're a true compulsive reader, somebody on this line, I'm sad to say, is dying. They're dying. And you know who you are. And I, well, you are not going to get fallacy. You're going to get compassionate truth on this line. I think they brought Ernie G, compassionate truth. And if you're dying, the truth is, if you work these steps in sequence, you can have a personality change. You can have a spiritual awakening that brings you into an alignment with the higher power of your own understanding that can drive out the obsession. There can be, you don't have to eat like that anymore. But yes, you do. I'm, I'm going to be honest. You have to put your heroin down, and it's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to be horribly uncomfortable for some people. It was for me. But you know what? I'm not dying anymore. I'm not suffering from, I'm not suffering from this disease anymore. 
It's a miracle. It's a miracle. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. And thank you so much, Larry Kay. Okay, Renata G., it's your turn. Good morning, Janice. Uh, thank you for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Reader in Istanbul. Um, what caught my attention this today, not this morning, it's afternoon here. Um, you know, when he says the... Um, uh, it makes sense the way you fellows talk about spirituality, something like that. Um, you know, because for me, it was the same. You know, uh, I had to find people that suffered in this disease just like I did. You know, I had to have identification. When I used, you know, he didn't even go to church, but I used to go to church and even like bring my binge foods into church you know, and eat while I heard, you know, a spiritual message like religion. And that never solved my problem. You know, I used to sit in church and hear a lot of good things like, you know, don't be resentful, forgive people, don't live in fear, trust God. But I could not apply any of that to my life. First of all, I was numbed out in the food. You know, I needed people to tell me that I had an allergy of the body, and that my trigger foods needed to be down. And then, you know, I needed people to show me that there was, you know, a spiritual program of action outlined step by step to teach me how to really get rid of the things that were killing me, you know, of my character defect, my fears, my resentment. Until I found that identification, you know, religion never solved my problem. Nothing really, I mean, not nothing, but my higher power hasn't really changed. You know, the same God I used to believe in before program, I still believe in. But I needed to have access to that God. I needed to have access to a higher power. And I needed people like this man needed this, you know, three ex-alcoholics, ex-problem drinkers to show him a practical program of action on how to apply to his life, to his experience of alcoholism, you know, um, how how to become free of that. And uh, with that, I pass. Thanks. Mm. And thank you, Renata G. Okay, Leah M., it's your turn. Thank you very much, Janice. You know, we always talk about the uh, promises of recovery, but there's also promises of disease. And when I look at page 159 and I look at those two words, suffered horribly, that certainly was my experience. I was suffering horribly, and it seemed as if nothing could be done for me. That's the way I felt. Um <laughs> You know, I got to the point where I felt like I couldn't live, and yet I didn't have the courage to die. I had a rough time living. I didn't have a rough time compulsively overeating. I had done that very well for many, many years. Um, it wasn't until the text was cracked open for me and someone taught me about the grave nature of my illness that yes, I had an allergy of the body, and yes, that was a bad problem, but it was true that I had a much, much worse problem. I had a problem with my mind. I had an obsession of the mind, which was only going to be relieved through a spiritual
spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to overcome my compulsive overeating. The spiritual stuff that we're talking about here, spiritual stuff, because the reality was, the reality was that the food was but a symptom of my problem. I knew there was a lot about compulsive overeating, you know, to read about and talk about the actual misery and the suffering of it. I had a wide variety of experience with that. What I didn't know about prior to January of 1987 is how does Leah live in Leah and stay abstinent and happy about that? (laughs) That's what I didn't know, and that's where the spiritual stuff comes in because I had spent five years in Overeaters Anonymous Staring at a food plan, I didn't realize that I had a spiritual malady. Food plans are physical. They're physical. But I had to separate from those binge foods in order to embark on that spiritual journey. Because the program of recovery was going to give me and continues to give me the spiritual stuff, the spiritual tools to remove those disturbances so that I don't have to seek a substance outside of myself in order to get comfortable. I no longer have to self-destruct by my own hand by taking that first bite under the guise of seeking ease and comfort. That spiritual power was going to be able to be accessed through the process of the steps and continuing to live in steps 10, 11, and 12, and that was going to enable me to not compulsively overeat and... To be happy with not compulsively overeating. That's the promise here. That's the promise. And with that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you so much, Leah M. Okay, we have a couple of more minutes for one. And who would like to take that? Anita L. Oh, please do, Anita. Thank you. A couple of minutes and we'll be all set. Thank you. Go ahead, Okay, thank you. Hi, good morning, everybody. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia. And I wanted to share in with the history um, that was related in this uh, paragraph or two paragraphs. And that is um, in 2000, I moved to Flemington, New Jersey and started a meeting, a big book meeting. And... uh, I had experience starting other meetings, so maybe that's why it helped me at that point. But for six weeks, nobody came. And they say that all you need are two people to have a meeting. And so for six weeks, I read the format. I read a chapter in the big book. And it was God and myself who were experiencing the meeting And I hung in there, and finally on that seventh week, one person came. So the way I'm relating it is how Bill, for six months, I believe it was, was carrying the message, and no one wanted it. And he said to Lois, I wasn't able to keep anybody or get anybody uh, sober. And she said, that's not true. You kept yourself sober. And then so finally on that seventh week, one person came, and then a few weeks later, there was a third, just like how it says in this paragraph, how there was a fourth. And then finally, 
people started coming. And I just looked on the computer to see if that meeting is still in existence. It was um, 2000 when when I started it, and I moved from that area in 2003. So I was just the facilitator, and it is still in existence today at the same location, same day, same time. And so I was just a messenger to carry the freedom that we can experience from not taking that first bite and being neutral with food. And it's the greatest gift I could have ever given myself. So with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Anita L., and thank you to everyone who has shared. So please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following this closing. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Amanda R., next in line, please read a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. This is Amanda R. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.